0: Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right.
1: Hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in the cold tundra. Mister Tyler Dunn of GoLongTD.com. Go subscribe today to GoLongTD.com if you have not already done so. A very, very good NFL Substack that just, uh, it's very different and it's very good and I enjoy it. Tyler, good afternoon. I was about to say good
0: morning, but no, it's good afternoon, sir. How are you? It's great to finally connect, as we said, uh, with, with a kindred spirit. I, I love what you have built with the podcast. It's great to finally uh, be able to sit down and and blab and, and talk some tight ends, talk some football. I, I've been looking forward to this one, Chase. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. Um, tight ends. I don't know if we'll have some tight ends. Like tight ends kind of a touchy subject with my Atlanta Falcons right now. I don't really want to talk about tight ends uh, for a while. We do that every week. Uh just me, friends, family, all that kind of stuff. Of what's Kyle Pitts gonna do this week? Uh is Kyle Pitts when's number touchdown number two uh coming for him? Uh TBD is currently the the state of affairs on that front.
0: Yeah, I drafted him myself, so I'm pretty upset with... Uh, his. Ooh, I could See, this is where the, the DMs Falcons. come
1: in, Tyler. You just send me a DM and you're like, hey, Cal Pitts? I would have been like, no, absolutely not. Do not waste any early <laughs> one. I, w- I could have led you on a different route on that one. But um, the Falcons we could talk about all the time. I want to pick your brain on your book that you have uh, showcased right there uh, for the good folks over there on YouTube.com slash Jason's Podcast. Like and subscribe uh, over there. Um This book, my first question to you, what made you want to write it?
0: You know, I think it really first started with a inherent love of real football. You know, Mm. the violence, the physicality, the the, the reason is just different than every other sport in existence. Hey, I played basketball, ran track, Mm. I played street hockey, all, all these other sports are great. So there's something different about putting on the pads lining up for an Oklahoma drill or being at high school football practice. And there's that attrition. Like, is this for me or is this not for me? Mm -hmm. I'm hitting my friends. I'm getting hit by my friends. You get out there Friday night you're under the lights. There's pressure. There's an adrenaline rush. Adrenaline rush is just a different feel than any other sport. And I know I'm going to sound like an ornery, you know, 35 year old father of two Mm now, Mm -hmm. but I feel like football, these last, five, 10, 15 years. It's, it's been gradual, but you're seeing all of that kind of getting siphoned out of the sport. Um, The, the, the violence and the, the the inherent risk that you sign up for when you play this game. So I got to thinking about, all right, well, where is it being saved? Where is it being preserved? And it it felt like the tight end position is that dude who can kind of keep it alive Mm -hmm. because you got to block, you got to go out for a route. You got to catch a pass. The most like authentic personalities in the game are at tight end. You know, mm. Gronk and Kelsey and Kittle and Jimmy Graham—all these guys that are dunking the football over the goalpost and saying "Yo soy fiesta" and you know, singing songs between series like George Kittle when he's mic'd up. Mm. Um, so I just explored it. Like, all right, let's go on this odyssey. Let's let's see if the sport can be saved at this position by this creature that was basically invented by Mike Dicka in the 1960s.
1: Mm. So
0: that's what I did. I, I just traveled around the country, hung out with Dikka, Jackie Smith, Ben Coates, Tony Gonzalez, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, Dallas Clark, you know, all of these guys. And it was, to, to say it was illuminating just doesn't do justice. I mean, it became so much bigger than um, X's and O's, so much bigger than the sport itself. I, I feel like, I learned a lot about the human condition from a lot of these players and personalities. Uh, it became a labor love in every sense of the term. And it's just great that now other people, I'm just more than anything, Chase, I'm just thrilled other people can hear the crazy stories that I've heard this past year mm. and sit at the bar with me, you know, talking to Jeremy Shockey over a couple of drinks and you know, hear about him beating up fools at the bar. So <laughs> I, <laughs> it's it, it, it was a lot of fun, man. I, I, I really mean that.
1: So it sounds like a lot of the usual suspects were kind of exactly what you had anticipated. Was that the case with Gronk, with Shockey, with Dick? Uh, Were they all just kind of who you thought they were going to be when you actually met them and spent a lot of time with them?
0: Yes. And then some, you know, and and, and there were exceptions. I was definitely surprised for a a lot of different reasons. You know, I was surprised at how intelligent a lot of these tight ends Hmm. were. I mean, next to the quarterback, nobody needs to know more on a football field than, than the tight end. I think that's why a lot of my broadcasters, yeah, Greg Olson, you know, Who's Tony fantastic. Gonzalez, mm-hmm. exactly. Olson's probably the best in the game. Yeah. Um, and you know, Mike Dicka, obviously for a long time, Shannon Sharp, mm-hmm. um, Shannon Sharp is really the guy that just infused the position and the locker room with, a, with fun. I mean, mm-hmm. beyond what anybody can expect who, who watches him. So many stories there from the Denver locker room that were hilarious. Talking to Terrell Davis, Anthony Lynn, Mike Shanahan. Uh, but I, I think that yeah, to, to your question, uh, Jeremy Shockey is everything you think Jeremy Shockey would be. You know, we don't mm. really hear a lot from him. He's he's he doesn't want to be out there on, on television broadcasts, and he'd rather be you know fishing or jet setting or. Maybe getting into a bar fight or two down in Brazil or cracking okay. business deals. He's making more money now in business than he ever did playing football. Hmm. Uh, but to hang out with him, uh, I mean, there's a reason that he's front and center on this book because, you know, he, he came into the league at a time when Jeremy Shockey was needed to hmm. just take names, kick ass, create this environment of alpha males. He did it at the U. I mean, he really was the one in the eye of that storm. You know, if a brawl broke out, as Jonathan Vilma said, it was probably Jeremy Shockey starting that brawl. And he brings that to the New York Giants, to the New Orleans Saints, passes it on to Jimmy Graham. You got to look beyond the numbers. I mean, I think the effect of Jeremy Shockey, it it goes beyond the four Pro Bowls. It goes beyond the two Super Bowl rings. He brought just an edge to the position of the game that was needed at that juncture in pro football history.
1: That's interesting. I, I will say too, with like the just the way football is changing and trying to find um, what it looked like. I mean, even decades ago, uh, I cover a lot of high school football. Is when you're talking about the labor of love. Like I just enjoy it. Like I don't think I'll ever be able to quit it. Like that's how I got started. Really, in sports was just uh, being the kid uh, when I was uh, when everyone else was in the student section in high school, and I'm uh, roaming the sidelines and talking to the coaches and like 14, 15 and um, just growing up with it. And like even now at 31, I still go uh, all the time here in East Tennessee. Very different. I will tell you, Tyler, uh, with uh, Georgia football and uh, East Tennessee football, a little bit different uh, in competition and size and all that kind of stuff. But the physicality, I think, is significantly different at the high school level still than the college level in the NFL, because I think I I don't know why that is. I have some guesses, but I think a lot of it is just you don't see it as much. Uh, there's not as much pressure to change and evolve. And I mean, you'll see a lot of wing T stuff here. You'll see a lot mm. of just a smash mouth dudes getting wrecked because I'm on the side like it's still an extremely violent sport, I think, at the high school level. Um, and I don't know if that's like something that just phases out once you get to college now, but it's something I've noticed in high school still
0: that's really interesting. You know, I wish I saw more high school football as like a, as a former high school football player, right? Those are the glory days. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I don't want to sound like this, uh, out of touch callous idiot, right? Because CTE concussions, Mm -hmm. thank God for league of denial. Thank God that everybody is well aware of what can happen to your brain later in life. Like that awareness needs to be there. I wish the NFL was even more upfront than it is. Like it's mm-hmm. just tell us it's, it's it's not safe, right? I mean, this, this sport is an octagon of sorts where yep. it isn't for everybody, but that's why we tune in to, 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 to watch these gladiators, to see people operate in a profession that we can't relate to. I mean, they go mm-hmm. to work and they kill each other. And then they're sitting in the cold tub talking about each other's families. That's, that's strange. That's not normal. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think though, like, Th- this th- it's what At this point, you know what could happen later in life. So when you know mm-hmm. that and you're well aware of the risk, you know what it can do for your family. Mm-hmm. You could be lifted out of abject poverty. You can set up generations of your family for life through this game, let alone all of the life lessons you can learn playing football. Mm-hmm. I mean, teamwork, accountability, just how to operate under pressure. I mean, the sport itself does so much for everybody. But if you, if you've got this talent, if you've got this skill and you do get to college and then you do get to the NFL. And if, if you are concerned about the head trauma, it's okay. Like you can step down at any point. I've gotten to know Chris Borland really well, sat down with him at length, you know, stepped away after one year of playing linebacker for the 49ers. Good. I had a long NFL career. Didn't want, didn't want to assume those risks. But mm-hmm. I think at this point, there's so much knowledge out there. And thank God there is And if you are willing to take that on Godspeed, that's awesome let's just keep football what it is let's stop pretending that there's this middle ground that doesn't really exist i think that's where a lot of my frustration is like the nfl trying to sell the game as something it is not and granted you know we see these crazy roughing the passer penalties yeah and we move on to the next shiny object the next day we're setting our fantasy football lineups we're moving on the nfl knows we're going to move on but it gets kind of like lost in the zeitgeist of everything and gradually you know, those D linemen are are thinking twice before they even touch a quarterback and football changes week to week, month to month, year to year. Uh, Thank God that the tight end, as long as you can hit, as long as there's not flags and belts, that tight end is is really what can preserve what we love. And
1: it's not even about safety. It's just about the 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 power shift in money for the quarterbacks like these team owners are just looking around like we're paying so much money into uh these quarterbacks i mean yeah safety sure we can throw that out there as the reason as to why we're calling roughing the passer penalties uh by just a defender being full putting his full body weight on our quarterback it's like no it's just it's our biggest investment there's that's why people are here and that's why people are watching is for patrick mahomes and to see what he is doing and tom brady going down is significantly uh uh troublesome for our uh billion dollar business so that's that's ultimately what it is like i i just i, I don't know is that a fair way of characterizing it
0: absolutely yeah. and unfortunately i would say <laughs> because it's it's at the expense of the sport itself yeah. you know i i think the nfl better be careful here i get it we we all don't want to uh see a a Blake Bortles case Keenum super bowl like we almost mm-hmm. saw a few years ago but at, at what expense, I mean, if you're going to keep throwing these flags, if you're going to keep overly sanitizing your product with just this absolute utter ridiculousness, uh, it's I, I would hope and think it turns people off. I don't know. I mean, may, maybe we differ. I, I get it. We, no, nobody wants backup quarterbacks just fill up the league. But th- this overcorrection is extreme and it's yeah. dangerous. And I think the NFL better be careful. What
1: was the hardest chapter for you to write?
0: Ooh, good question. I would probably say Jackie Smith hmm. because he is a player that I didn't know much about at all. Mm-hmm. Like many people know much about Jackie Smith other than he was the tight end for the Dallas Cowboys who dropped a pass in the Super Bowl and unfairly, unjustly, it's, it's really a crime. That's what he's known for.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he was so much more than that as as a player i mean growing up in louisiana running on dirt tracks as a track star he, he he gets to college to run track only because he promises he'll also play football even though he wasn't much of a football player in high school uh, he suffered injuries he was pretty fragile he just didn't didn't like it that much shines on the football field gets to the st louis cardinals um as a, as a late round pick he still doesn't understand why they even drafted him and for whatever reason his speed and the way he ran and could get separation to road routes it, it revolutionized the game He was an unbelievable Hall of Fame talent up to that last season, last game with the Dallas Cowboys where, yeah, he drops a ball. We get into it. There's so much more that went into that play from the play call itself uh, being 10 yards from the goal line as opposed to on the goal line like they practiced to Roger Staubach's hurried throw. It wasn't just a drop. But what made it such a difficult chapter to write is I hung out with Jackie Smith in St. Louis. I I definitely – wanted to develop a rapport a relationship and and ease into this life defining moment where we hear jackie smith and we think of those two seconds in time um mm. we get to it and it was unbelievably uh, emotional for jackie smith because he was able to move on right he, football did so much good for him and his family uh, but how that play affected his relationships with his wife with his kids with every all of his loved ones it really did affect him up until 2020 we're talking decades that Mm. one moment in time negatively affected jackie smith and we call that chapter the mindset because the mindset of a dallas clark mom Mm. dying in his arms the mindset of a jimmy graham in a group home basically an orphan no place to live fearing for his life living with juvenile delinquents that are beating the hell out of him Um, we saw future tight ends have to work through stuff psychologically that I can't comprehend it. And it all kind of started with Jackie Smith where this play, this moment is, it makes him a goat in everybody's minds that for people who don't really know the real Jackie Smith, how do you deal with that individually? Personally, it took a while, but he got to that point and that, that it made it very difficult to, to not just write, but to sit there and report on a Jackie Smith because it's a touchy, emotional, sensitive topic that, Uh, only a few people in all of sports can really understand, you know, Bill Buckner, you think of these guys who, you know, they're defined by one moment. I I can't imagine all of us in our line of work and all of our lives being defined by something so microscopic and Mm -hmm. so, you know, instant, so, so so passing and fleeting, uh, he, he found a way to deal with it. And I think we can all take so many life lessons for how Jackie Smith got out of that place he was in
1: uh the weirdest part of the novel writing process was what for you tyler
0: oh man the weirdest part Hmm. you know it was uh, by weird are you like both what do you mean by weird would you say
1: when you're doing like the day to day and you're going through it and you're like laying out these chapters, you're going through your outline, you're going okay, this goes here, this goes there or even just like the conversations you're having with your editor about like do i need to put this in or does this flow correctly? Was there anything like your daily like oh, and i'm also doing this every day and why am i doing what what is this routine that i've just created to make sure uh, did you pick up a, a marble habit? Like what uh, What was the weirdest part about it for you?
0: <laughs> Okay, good. I, so the actual like process of doing it, it yeah. was uh, having our, our, our son in late July.
1: Uh-huh. That could <laughs> run, a wrench in it.
0: Right. And uh, you know, so I, I, I signed the book deal. It would have been right around then. Like I yeah. started traveling around in September. Um, and so I, I started writing around November and then mm-hmm. the manuscript was due In march and thankfully i got a a month extension to april but Uh it was a lot man it was um in in all the best possible ways but to have a son to run go long you know try to build up uh, my own platform for long form writing in football and to travel around the country and hang out with these tight ends and then transcribe hours upon hours and then map out the writing you know each chapter I think the beauty of this book is if you, when you buy the Blood and Guts pre order on Amazon, if you'd like, thank you very much, everyone. (laughs) Um, You can jump around. Like you can go Mm -hmm. right to Gronk, you can go right to Kittle, you can go right to Shannon Sharp, Kellen Winslow, anybody that you want. And that's how I wrote it. You know, I approached it like I do any feature story, you know, reporting the hell out of something, transcribing it all, mapping it out, and figuring out, you know, what, what the story arc, what the narrative is. And, you know, so I'm writing these chapters, writing these long form pieces, but then it all does kind of fit together. I still Mm -hmm. would recommend reading it from, from start to finish because there is, you know, an arc to the, the broader picture of the NFL tight end and Mm -hmm. how this, this human being, this, this creature on like anything in professional sports saves the sport and there's a lot Mm -hmm. on the field a lot off the field but seeing how that kind of piece together was really interesting too because there's a lot of like moving parts that intersected a lot of coaches who had the same tight ends a lot of tight ends who idolized others I mean Rob Gronkowski is a kid idolizing Jeremy Shockey writing a letter to him and he basically Mm -hmm. takes that Shockey model of authenticity and living with no fear and living like there's no tomorrow and partying your ass off he takes it to another level and he's bigger yeah. and he's stronger and he's more violent. And that's why I think he's the greatest stepper.
1: He's your goat.
0: I think so. You know, I think it is Rob Gronkowski.
1: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. For so many
0: reasons, but you know,
1: does he see himself that way? Do you think he cares? Like, does he strike you as a legacy guy?
0: I think he, I think he does care. You know, I, okay. I think um, probably not as deeply as some other people in this mm-hmm. book may care. Uh, but I think he takes pride in the fact that like, yeah, I think he, he definitely likes like the trail of just pain that he left in his wake, but he yeah. takes more pride in the fact that other dudes knocked him out, hit him. And he always found a way to get back up. I mean, Earl Thomas lighting him up down the field in that game. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like, it's, it's a human harpoon lighting you up and to come back from that hit, it reminded Rob of all the times, you know, growing up here in Buffalo, New York, where his brothers are just beating the hell out of him in mini sticks. I mean, it mm-hmm. was ruthless in the Gronkowski household in Amherst. Uh, <laughs> and there's all kinds of stories. I mean, his younger brother, Glenn, I mean, he thought he just killed Rob when he was younger. He, he, he lights him up, knocks uh-huh. him into the bathroom, because all the groks, like, when you when you hit somebody, you immediately run to the bathroom, close the door, and take shelter. So Rob did that, Yeah. but uh, Glenn timed it up where he, he powers the door. He's going after Rob and Rob hits his head on the bathtub and uh, is out cold. So yeah, they don't know what, what happened to Rob. And of course he wakes up and he storms after his brother in a ball of fury. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stories Man. there that absolutely helped him as an NFL tight end. He, he liked getting hit because he liked getting back up and proving that you can't keep him down, which is why there's a small part of me that still thinks we haven't seen the last of Rob Gronkowski. If Tampa Did Bay's in the hunt and Tom Brady calls. Yeah. I, I can see that. I can absolutely see that.
1: Do you think he's healthy enough though right now? Cause he's talked about the last couple of years. I mean, it just seems like the dude is just in pain and going through a lot of, like, does he seem pretty okay on the health front?
0: He does. And, and you know what? I'm running these stories through my yeah. head. Chris. You know, my own, my own book, right? Like, <laughs> I've looked at these chapters a million times. Not Goose. His younger brother, Rob, actually sent him to the ER on Christmas Eve once. Um wow. He's good, though. I think he's good. I think that you know taking a year off like he did after winning the Super Bowl in New England helped him recover his, mm. his mind, body, soul, everything. And maybe that's what he's doing now. Maybe just stepping away for a little bit is going to kind of help him recovering he can decide what he wants to do from there I, you know, honestly i wouldn't be surprised if he just gets into acting and we start hmm. seeing him playing some roles in movies i'd absolutely see that in his future Is he want of yeah he does he does
1: okay interesting do you see professional wrestling do you think that's still something that he because he did some of that for a little bit do you think he's interested in that arc
0: when rob bernkowski came out of retirement you know mm-hmm. his past time to play for the buccaneers um he did have a deal in place with uh the wwe the Gronk Mm -hmm. family the the, the gronk family was in talks with vince mcmahon they're all ready to like do something big together and then rob told tells his dad last week yeah i kind of want to play football and he comes out of retirement plays football and that deal falls through so i wouldn't be surprised yeah, hmm. wrestling something entertaining. Family though, yeah.
1: what does the f- whole family got? Like, do we know what that all entailed? Uh, why they wanted the whole family?
0: You know, I, be, beyond that, I, I wasn't able to get a ton of details from Gordy Senior. I'm but so curious. They had a in mean. place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, right. I'm not even a big wrestling guy, but yeah. that would have been hell, that would have been fun to watch.
1: Uh, for sure. He seems like he was built for that. Um, which part of the book do you think you'll hear the most about from friends and family?
0: You know, I really think that Tony Gonzalez is Hmm. very fascinating because he's, you know, going into this project, I I figured a big challenge would be getting original, you know, anecdotes and stories. And because a lot of these guys, they've, they've had the football life documentaries. They've had long form stories written about them, SI profiles. Like we've seen a lot of the stories kind of regurgitated. Um, but I, I really wanted to make sure the blood and guts, um, yeah, obviously we're gonna hit on like the main moments that made these tight ends, but I want something fresh. I want something original. Mm-hmm. I, I want something like nobody has ever heard before. And the, the the hangout with Tony Gonzalez down in Austin, Texas, it was shortly after we moved down to Austin. We got together, and there were there were a lot of stories that nobody has heard before that Tony Gonzalez opened up on in a in a profound way. So that's probably what I hear the most when this when this comes out on Tuesday is because because this is the player that forced the league to think about the tight end in a different way. Like mm-hmm. the tight end was always something in, mm-hmm. in, in people's mind. It's not, it's not a basketball player. It's not this athletic freak down the field just plucking the ball atop. People's well, speaking heads. of, did
1: you know Tony Gonzalez also played basketball?
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Is that did right? I mean, <laughs>
1: well, every NFL broadcast was ready, ready to remind you at any given moment
0: the story that will definitely get people talking is what happened in atlanta when tony gonzalez is coached by mike balarkey i Mm -hmm. I talked to mike balarkey got his side of the story as well um, who did view the position through an old school throwback get in line and block (laughs) lens yeah he had mark bruner and we have a mark bruner chapter like that is what he wanted tony gonzalez to be to Mm -hmm. block He didn't care about flexing you out and having you do acrobatic stuff down the field, which kind of blew Tony Gonzalez's mind. It's like, why in the hell did this team trade for me if they want me to do this? And it blew Mike Malarkey's mind. He's like, why did we get this guy? I wanted a different kind of tight end. So it was like this weird arranged marriage that was doomed for failure. And it blew up in, um, I guess you could say a blaze of fury in Tampa Bay when Tony Gonzalez is on catch number 999. Mm-hmm. tony gonzalez says that he was iced out of catch 1000 mike malarkey says he has no clue he doesn't care about records he's trying to win the game and there was a confrontation in the locker room that i think everybody will want to read when they
1: Ooh, the i'm cards. excited about that chapter um i guess history repeated itself we're not allowed to have nice things in atlanta when it comes to tight ends like we have to just use our tight ends our uh, incredible all-purpose tight ends as blockers I think there was a good... I forgot who it was. Maybe it was Ted Gwynn who was like, uh, Kyle Pitts needs to tank these blocks. He's actually a good run blocker, and that's his problem is that he he showed he can do... It's like you never want to just oversell and show that you can do more than you you should. You're like, oh, I can't run block. And then they're like, all right, I guess we can only use them in pass plays. Um, that's kind of what you want to do, but he's actually pretty good at that too. Um, if you had to write a fantasy novel next, could you do it, Tyler?
0: That would be... I pro- no, I, I couldn't, but I Perfect. wish I could because I, I have a newfound uh, respect and admiration for, for fiction. You know, for the longest mm-hmm. time, I've only read nonfiction and, and biographies and, you know, football, sports books. And uh, th- there is some amazing writing out there when it comes mm-hmm. to just I was a big Game of Thrones guy up until the last season, which was an abomination. Uh, people say this i
1: you know I, uh, that's like a whole other podcast people say this but i don't think it was that bad i don't understand like where the <laughs> like what what is the reason do people just want heiress to win was that just part of it were they not happy that bram was on the throne like that john just went back to the like i don't really understand and spoilers ahead folks but i mean it's been a little bit so i don't feel it's bad but i don't know i think people were a little uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people who were upset were the people that wanted Daenerys to win it all. And, uh, John to be the, the heroine that he just never really wanted to be. I don't know. I don't think it was that bad. I don't think people are ever going to be happy with how that ended.
0: I don't want to end on bad terms, Chase. I really like, oh. it, I really like, it. <laughs>
1: this is a strong you, take. you were very upset problem. about this team. Mm-hmm.
0: It, here, no, here, here it is. As I don't, what actually kind of went down. Well, the problem for me kind of even dated back maybe even the season before, I felt uh-huh. like with defined thrones, the reason that I freaking loved it was the absolute utter ruthlessness of the show. Mm-hmm. Anybody could die, any episode. They don't care what you expect. They don't care that you want the good guy to win. it. No, they're going to kill off that good guy. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it became so popular and it started appealing to, you know, moms and wives and children and everybody beyond, you know, a 30-year-old white guy like myself who <laughs> is cold hearted. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I feel like it kind of, you know, obviously when it, it outran the books too. It, Which again, it, not it, their fault. It, it, not their fault. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. But I'm saying it became like Disneyified. Like it yeah. just became too. I don't want Aria flying through the sky, taking out mm-hmm. the Night King. Like get out of here with that nonsense. The Night King wow. was a badass. He, he's not going out like a chump. He is not going <laughs> out like that. It, it, it's unrealistic, Chase, mm-hmm. in this world of. Yeah dragons and, and zombies like that is unrealistic yeah <laughs> but it was. in the world they created too much stuff happened that felt weird and phony and unrealistic and i couldn't buy it, it became a different show
1: interesting strong thrones takes Yeah, i think you might have some fantasy novel in you you might be able to do your own you might be able to do it um True. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Never say never. Uh, a team you're quite familiar with, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, are they the best team in the NFL right now? And would you trade for Christian McCaffrey if you were your Buffalo?
0: Yes, I would trade for McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley or any talent that you can. I mean, you might as well go for it right now if you're mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills because you've got a window. You've got Josh Allen. Uh, you've got Stephon Diggs in his prime. You've got Von Miller still getting sacks and rushing the quarterback and he has not faded away like basically everybody else in this draft class has mm-hmm. why not like go for it like you're, you're already paying all these guys like what are draft picks if you're the Buffalo Bills like, if, if that Barkley is going to get you over the hump that McCaffrey like to hear hear your picks hear your assets and and go for it because I don't you know they're right there it's the Bills and the Chiefs in a class of their own right now as we talk today until the Bills overtake the Chiefs, I, I don't think you can say they're better than the Chiefs because the Patrick mm. Mahomes effect is real. Like he is in this team's head until they can figure him out. I mean, he has eliminated them from the playoffs and back to back seasons. Um, he's a he's a magical dude that just finds a way in the end. So I can't even even being from Buffalo, I I, I just and I love Josh Allen, he's special. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes late in the fourth quarter with about 13 seconds left, typically.
1: What's the craziest thing you've seen in a Buffalo
0: Bills tailgate? You know what's weird is I'm such a curmudgeon when it comes to, like, the table-smashing stuff because, Uh like, growing up here, I'm like, yeah, as a kid with my dad going to tailgates, we threw the ball around. Like, they were good in the late 90s, and it's like you wouldn't see that kind of stuff. I feel like the Mm -hmm. Bills, through the 17-year playoff drought, were so mediocre, so like numbingly average with mm-hmm. JP Losman and Kelly Holcomb and Trent Edwards and Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was like tickets became so cheap and a lot of fans just looked at it as an opportunity to go to a tailgate, drink way too much and act like a fool. And it was fun, right? It, clips go viral. People light themselves on fire and bashing themselves through tables and I mean, I watch them and I laugh, but at some point, like, you're a good team now. Like, mm-hmm. you are a perennial playoff team. Can we retire this stuff? Like, is, it, oh. is there – I know I, I said it in Isaiah McKenzie show and people weren't happy. But I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, go nuts. I love to drink as much as anybody, but you don't need to do it at the expense of your own life and mm. <laughs> risking paralysis. Like, why? <laughs> why do that? The team is good. Yeah. Just please enjoy the game if you can.
1: Uh, do you think Devonte Adams has regrets about leaving Green Bay, and do you think Green Bay will regret not making it work on their side of things?
0: I thought you were gonna say, does he have regrets about you know shoving a civilian and getting you know me Look, man, that dude. Oh, I it.
1: my take on that one. That guy saw dollar signs. His student loans are paid off. That man went flying backwards and is like, oh yeah, I'm I'm settling. I am. This is absolutely going to pay for my college education.
0: Yeah, people were acting like Devontae Adams, Adams murdered a guy. Yeah, that's not what happened. That year. man just yeah, fell. He's fine. Not what that, happened. That's, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll allegedly.
1: We will throw allegedly everything uh, on that one.
0: I don't think there's regrets. I, I think that, you know, Devontae Adams is really tight with Derek Carr.
1: Mm-hmm. I think they're
0: a good team. I mean, that's had a lot of bad luck. You know, yeah. they Granted, he if he's ring chasing, I mean maybe you stay in Green Bay, but Aaron Rodgers has kind of looked like an average to above average quarterback. And they, they did have such a good thing together. Maybe you just yeah, like let it let it run out like until you can't go anymore. Um, but I get it. Like he lived in Green Bay for eight years mm-hmm. and it's the smallest market, and you've got this buddy out in Vegas that's the quarterback, and they're willing to pay you a ton of money. Uh you add it all up, and yeah, I think I I get Devontae Adams's choice to because it was his choice. I mean Green Bay wanted to keep him and Mm. Green Bay wanted to make it work. But uh I I get it. And it's I know they're what one and four. Yeah. But I don't I don't think that Devontae Adams is necessarily thinking, oh crap, I wish I stayed with Aaron Rodgers right now.
1: Uh are the Steelers the worst team in the NFL.
0: Man I do I, I love Mike Tomlin. I think he is just the standard for what you want out of an NFL head coach in terms of Yeah, he's got to discipline his guys. He he is a hard ass, but he's still player friendly, user friendly. Mm -hmm. Guys can go in with anything, but then you 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 kick those two field goals when you're down twenty four to three and thirty one to three. It just it's it's nonsensical. They're not Mm -hmm. the worst team. I think there's worse teams. Um, I guess yeah, you have to throw a few at me here. The Bears, the Bears,
1: yes. He was the Bears were my like preseason where I said the the next cause there's gonna be another one of these in the Atlanta. modern NFL with uh um, yeah Matt Eberflus where he could be a good DC, but I just didn't see it with the offense where I'm like, this there's no talent. Shout out to my guy Vilas Jones, he's doing all he can. But um this is just such an offensive focused league now that if you have a bad offensive product and you're a defensive-minded coach. The it, it's just <laughs> you're not going to get a couple years like that's just not how it works anymore you're going to get I mean the Steve Wilkes factor and I at the time I told folks I was like I don't think he's the last one I think you're going to see this more and more when these teams take a shot on a defensive minded coach if that offense sucks and they're an unwatchable product they're just gonna be like oh nope see we should have hired the offensive guy like this is we should have hired a Shanahan tree a McVeigh tree we should have gone that way we're pivoting back the other way this we want people in the stands we want people in seats and like the bears offense is ugly and it's like they're close in some of these games but it's it's not i don't know i don't think he's safe for a full year i do not think if this offense looks like this for a 17 game season i don't think these defensive first year coaches um get the benefit of the doubt i don't know i think he's a surprise like maybe fire watch uh by the end of the year
0: and, and i like luke getsy a lot yeah i think A lot of good things in Green Bay. I, I just wonder if Justin Fields isn't very good, and maybe all those whispers that we were hearing ahead of the draft about him being a slow processor had had a little (laughs) truth to it. I mean, well, now we have two
1: offensive minds who have both just been like, nope, the training wheels are staying on. Like this is now too. It's not just a Matt Nagy thing.
0: I think so. You know, yeah. and I, I was dead wrong on that. I mean, that's why I'm not a draft, you know, expert grinding mm-hmm. the all 22. Like, I like Justin Fields at Ohio State. I was like, this guy's – he's tough. He's making big-time throws down the field. Um, But there is – in the NFL, you've got to be able to make decisions yeah. like this. And you got to see what the defense is doing in real time. He just hasn't been – look, I mean – like, we should also you know, throw out Zach Wilson yeah.
1: also doing that. Where they have completely put the training wheels on him. That man is not throwing at all. They're I mean, the Jets are winning now, and they're just like we're running the ball, playing defense. We're taking it out of our uh, our young signal callers' hands because it's just it's too fast, and we just he's going to make too many mistakes, and we give him too many opportunities. Like I don't know, that's just kind of. It turns out, Tyler being quarterback in the NFL is hard. It's a, it's a hard <laughs> thing.
0: It is, and it makes you appreciate the very best of the best when a Mahomes and an yeah. Allen and even a, a, a Lamar doing stuff that nobody else has ever done um, can, can succeed and dominate because, hey, it's not like everybody's livelihoods are dependent upon you. I mean, the yeah. inherent pressure to playing quarterback, I, I can't imagine. So yeah, the Jets, the Bears, there's, there's, I mean, they're not alone. There's so many teams that are like trying to make everything perfect around the quarterback. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the quarterback needs to be the one that rises the tide. Look, even Detroit, they were leading the NFL in points per game in the last week. And then here they are one and four. I mean, Jared Goff is putting up good numbers, but are they going to roll with Jared Goff beyond this season? Probably not. So it's, it, it I is I don't tough. know about that.
1: I don't like, if I, they strike me and Dan Campbell saying what he did before the year about like, we don't need the franchise guy. Or we believe in Goff. I think there's some validity to what he's trying to do. I think he wants to finish out the rest of this roster. And then if the last thing they need is a young quarterback, then that's maybe the last piece. But if they're sitting there at one next year, I think they're going defensive line. I think they're just adding to the Hutchinson factor and just going Will Anderson or somebody. Jalen Carter, I I wouldn't bet on Detroit going quarterback. Dan Campbell does not strike me as someone who's going to move off this hill.
0: And I love everything about Dan Campbell, yeah. Hank freely that offensive line, trying to win in the trenches. I mean, there's a reason that – I mean, you look at the numbers. They yeah. are up until Foxborough. They've been scoring and moving the ball at yeah. will. And, Jared, and the situation around Jared Goff is so good. You just wonder if they win three, four games um, – and I'm with you. I think that – I don't think Jared Goff is, like, the problem. But they mm-hmm. might look at it like, okay – this quarterback with these insanely you know, athletic skills and gifts and he can do things that blow our mind, we just have to take this player because we have no choice. Maybe, maybe it's a little pressure from ownership, a little pressure from the fan base, needing to just zap life in your organization. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went quarterback.
1: Uh, last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Uh, most interesting thing about Isaiah McKenzie, the average fan doesn't know that you've learned.
0: I love it. Oh, the show is is a riot, man. We mm-hmm. get authenticity and a, a real dude, like a real personality beyond the locker room in the press conference, just hanging out at a bar with Isaiah McKenzie. It's, it's a lot of fun. So thanks so much for watching and listening. Mm-hmm. Whew, man, where do you start with Isaiah? I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is it, but probably the story he told uh, that went viral and was like the craziest was uh, he it was the first episode of, of yeah. the show when he said that it through his college recruiting, he mm. went to Notre Dame, loved it. Campus was great. All of that. Thought about, you know, joining the Fightin' Irish. And according to Isaiah, a coach told him, you know, if you come here, there's no sexual intercourse on the whole campus. And Isaiah heard that and mm-hmm. decommitted shortly thereafter, and said, this is not for me. <laughs> so I put that video clip out on social media. And I mean, I heard from like Brady Quinn and Mike Mulligan mm. In so many words, a lot of these guys are like, no, we had sex. That's not a thing. It's like, okay, okay, I believe you. You did sleep yeah. with somebody, I guess. That's great. Congratulations.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that you get from Isaiah. He is real. Nothing, nothing is uh, held back with him.
1: That's amazing. He was also great when he talked because like he he seems like he's someone who doesn't take this stuff too personally when like fans get crazy because and you need that if you're going to be in the Bills Mafia and that man like because uh, for folks because like you said everything moves so fast in the NFL that people just forgot uh, what happened in the Bills Dolphins insanity from a few weeks back and he was getting killed for not getting out of bounds and the angle that he took and and then he talked about it where he was like he he I mean you can phrase this better than I can, but like he was very open about it and was just like, what are y'all looking at? Like that's not how it was for me when I was on the field. Like he was he was great about it.
0: It made a lot of sense because yeah. when they were at on the field, he couldn't just run horizontal yeah. to get out of bounds. He had to get some yardage to get mm. into field goal range. So he's trying to do that while I believe it was Zayden Howard? Maybe that was keeping him in bounds. Yeah. And maybe a couple different dolphins. So he's trying to like navigate through that all. And uh, the, the funniest part there is he said, how a, a fan, you know, sent him a diagram basically of yes. this is where, you, this is where <laughs> you could have gone. And one of the arrows was like where he ended up going. So he's mm-hmm. like, What do you I want me to do?
1: It's also a lot yeah. easier when you're not in the game and you're not uh, a bunch of dolphins defenders are not totally. trying to push right. it. Yeah.
0: yeah, right. It's all happening like, yeah. you know, with the bullets flying.
1: Yeah. 100%. Uh, Tyler, this has been great. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, what would you like to plug not just with the book, but also go buy the book on Tuesday at golongtd.com. Go subscribe to that. What uh, can the good folks look out from you on that front? And then uh, just getting involved and supporting your work, man.
0: I appreciate it, Chase. And, and thanks so much for the opportunity. I'm, I'm so glad that we can finally connect like this. And, and we're absolutely going to do it again. Uh, I, yeah, the book, you know, you can pre-order. I think probably mm-hmm. the easiest way is just to get it where we get everything in life, right? Amazon. Yes. <laughs> so just pre-order right on there. We'd love it if you got that hard copy. Uh, but also there's audio books, there's the, the the Kindle format. And it, I just can't thank everybody enough. It was, you know, it's it kind of started as this quest to, to figure out the soul of the sport and how it can be saved. But I think the book is as much about the human condition as anything. So even if you're just kind of like a mild football fan, I think you're going to love it because these guys have been through so much and they really were uniquely qualified to kind of pass the baton to each other to, to keep the sport what it is. Uh, but yeah, definitely that's the best way to get the book. Go Um It's a subscription site, but you can also just hop on that free list and get a sense for uh, the type of stuff that you'll get when you subscribe. Always available.
1: Absolutely. Go do that today. Tyler, thank you so much. Good luck with the launch and uh, everything else over the coming days. And uh, we'll have to reconnect again soon.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.